0: We are back here getting ready to dive deep into the season two of the mandalorian on the podcast here we're going to give you episode recaps every week of the eight episode second season i'm pleased today to kick off this series with the, the host of stanko stance the resident film the podcast and a big star wars fan the great john stanko john welcome back
1: how are you the mandalorian is back michael i'm doing very well Woke up with a bit of a pep in my step this morning, uh, knowing I had something to watch late morning. So, uh, I'm doing very well. Yourself?
0: I'm doing very good. I mean, that was the first thing I did today. I woke up as I popped on Disney+, Plus, watched the first episode. A little longer than I thought it was going to be, but I enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, it, I believe this is the longest episode of any episode that's been put out thus so far. Yeah, I, I think, believe the, the longest last year was the season finale, and this was longer than that.
0: Yeah, I think the season finale is here about 46 minutes and I think this one is, what, 54? I think the premiere was?
1: Yeah, it was, yeah, it was almost an hour. And, uh, I mean, it, I think we're going to talk about it. It was longer, but for the most part, it did not drag at all. The time went by very fast. So I think more more, more people than not are going to be very happy with the length of it.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. Because like the one thing I like about it, and we'll get to the spoilers in just a minute, is... I think it moved. It didn't leave you sitting there dragging, like looking at your watch, looking at your phone, saying how much longer it is. You really weren't like left hanging there.
1: No, I would agree with you. And I think they did a very clever of the, of the producers and Tavro and everyone involved that the opening five minutes was pretty much a ton of footage from the trailer. It was action packed. People immediately recognized the vibe and what they were into. And then after that, after the title comes up with a mandalorian and the marshall title of the episode then it dives into like the brand new stuff so very smart marketing by the mandalorian and everyone involved with it to kind of start grip everyone in with the action and then start setting the scene
0: yeah for sure and before we get into all of that and eh, let's talk a little bit about season one like what drew you into season one immediately
1: uh, what drew me into season one, Mike, is that The Mandalorian is is unlike any other Star Wars media out there. Uh, it's a Western that's set in the realm of science fiction, but also definitely has some noir kind of tendencies to it. And it blends genres incredibly well. Uh, my favorite example of this is, I believe, it's episode six of season one, when Mando goes onto the prison ship with a bunch of other mercenaries, gets backstabbed like he always does, and has to fight his way out. That episode was like science fiction, Western horror, all blended into one. But a really big part is the way it blends genre. And I also, this just, just me being honest, it's a huge sigh of relief that the idea of the Jedi are not a major talking point in the show. It's a complete clean palette from the rest of Star Wars, not only with the way it looks and the way it feels, but also in literally the story that it's telling. It's completely different. There's no, not as many strings attached to like the major blockbuster cinema masterpieces that have been made. So, I bet those are kind of the two major reasons that I like it.
0: Yeah, I think the good. it's obviously a good thing. I think if it's not like messed up in all the Star Wars lore, sure, there are Easter eggs in there and things that can help you if you know them. But, like, as I told our friend Alan Austin recently, I said, hey, like, this is a good show. You can jump right in without having seen any of the movies and you'll still have a good time.
1: Yes, I would agree. I would agree. And I think the same goes for you don't need to have seen all the TV shows, right, Mike? Yeah. Because if you've seen Star Wars, Clone Wars, or Rebels, you are noticing so much more stuff than a normal person. Um, But like for myself, another reason I like Season 1 of The Mandalorian is because it kind of got me into Star Wars, Clone Wars, the animated series. Granted, I'll admit, not having finished it yet because I fell off because it was a little bit too childish for me at times. But with that being said, Season 1 of... uh Episode one of season two dropping today. I'm not gonna lie; I turned on a little bit of Cold War this afternoon just to put something on in the background. So again, it reinvigorated my interest in things that are not just the major motion pictures.
0: It certainly has. And before we dive into the premiere in detail, let's let's reset for the audience. Where do we leave off in season one? Because obviously, we end the season. The mission of the season is starts off with the Mandalorian title character played by Pedro Pascal he decides to take a bounty to basically bring this child who we get to know as baby Yoda in unofficial terms to, to the empire breaks the child out and travels with him trying to find his home at the end of the season. We see the dark saber from an empire, Imperial remnant come out and he finds out that's a, something we'll dive into. I'm sure the season goes on, but what else stuck out from the end of season one?
1: I think the end of season one, uh, I liked it how the Mandalorian was back on his own. That's kind of the last scene is that he's like, he's taking the baby on a new quest uh, with his creed to bring it back to his people. Um, I liked it a lot when the Mandalorian was on its own in season one. So they got back to that, at least at the end of season one. And now with the beginning of season two, because he's, he just introduced the characters, right? Every episode of, of season one, it was kind of like a new character. Was introduced. You don't know if you're ever going to see them again. And a couple of them came back for the season finale, but a couple of them were just one-off. And I kind of like that. A lot of people I thought personally didn't love it when The Mandalorian was on its own because it felt too much like Star Trek, where it was just like an episode-by-episode episode story. But that's part of the reason I love the show. So that's really why I like the ending to season one. But with that being said, the ending to season one also had a major shift with uh, the Mandalorian taking off his helmet in front of the droid and him kind of softening his hard take on droids, if you will, which obviously he has those feelings because of the purge of his people when the Empire was sending droids to literally kill his village before he was saved by the Mandalorian. So you see that softness of his opinions on droids really, really come to fruition at the end of season one with the sacrifice of the nurse droid, who was revamped from episode one, season one. So those are kind of the two major things that came out. It's softening on the droids, which I think is going to play a theme throughout uh, this upcoming season. And also, he's back on his own. He's going back to his own adventures. He's going to meet new people. And eventually, we'll reconnect with his friends.
0: Yeah, he will. And now that we've set the stage a little bit, let's play the spoiler sound. All right, so if you have not watched Season 2, Episode 1 of The Mandalorian, get out of the podcast, go watch the episode, come back, because now John and I are going to go into all of the spoilers. So we'll start from here. I mean, the opening sequence, man, that was just bang up. When you see him go to this planet, try and get some information on finding Mandalorians. And like you said, it's basically the big fight from the trailer, and they did a good job just wetting your appetite with that and not giving away much of the plot, because basically as the first five minutes. That whole sequence is over.
1: Yeah, it is, and I love this opening scene. I don't know if you've ever seen Escape from New York, Mike, but it reminded me of that movie. Have you seen that before? I've seen it before. Yeah, with Snake Plissken, and you have the desecrated city that is just graffiti everywhere. You have things hiding in the shadows where you want to stay in the light. You don't know what's out there. And then, I mean, I thought Snake Plissken was just going to appear out of the shadows. That's kind of what this whole vibe reminded me of. He also had a wrestling ring with a giant fight with that was used as entertainment for everybody which is again escape from new york so it really reminded me of that vibe uh and again like you said it got people excited right away because it just hopped right into the action like I, it was a great opening sequence it immediately hooked people in also very very creative way to kill uh to kill the kind of the, the guy guy's backstabs uh letting the animal feet on him shooting out the light i was a fan of that kill
0: yeah, it was great, and it's a great visual too. When you see the lights go out, you see the red eyes from all like the the ravenous like rat creatures. They're basically roaming around. They're going to eat this guy at, at the end. And he says, "Mando, basically, like, I I didn't say I would kill you. I love that. There's, yeah, like, it, deadpan line. you will not
1: die. Yeah, you will not die by my hands. And he was not lying. He was not lying. Those uh, those evil eyes reminded me of like the evil Cheshire cat from Alice in Wonderland, just creepily staring out into the void. Uh, but it was a great opening sequence, and I really loved how. There was a blatant wrestling shout-out, if you will, with an uh, attacker blatantly doing a suicide dive off the top rope through a table, missing the Mandalorian, which is classic wrestling. Absolutely classic. So I saw that and immediately pointed it out to myself, going, that's nice little touch of the director, just giving something to wrestling fans there.
0: Yeah, so the first five minutes we spent there, the rest of the episode is back on Tatooine. We spent, I think, two ep- couple episodes in season one there. We came back. We can't, were you surprised that we went back to Tatooine this early? Uh,
1: No, I was not Uh, because I do. No, I wasn't because Tatooine is frankly, it's the most popular and the most well-known planet in the Star Wars universe, right? But the thing is, we don't know a lot about Tatooine, right? We know Mos Eisley. We know where Luke grew up. We know some other outposts and stuff like that. But we don't know a lot about what happens outside the major cities and the major venues we've seen. And that's what The Mandalorian does. Like, it's kind of taking away the shadow from everything that's unknown and kind of shining a light on like the darker points that have not been shown on. And that's why you we went to the outskirt village in the middle of nowhere. We have to take a speeder bike to get to. And there's lack of resources everywhere. I loved it. How they kind of expanded the testing universe by going to the outskirts of it.
0: Were you happy to see Amy Sedaris's character back again?
1: I was, I was, I mean, she was a funny character coming back. I, I do think she said the phrase, thanks before. Yeah. So it's, to my recollection, like, was there ever a direct reference to the Force in season one? I just rewatched it this past week. I didn't remember one. Uh, the Mandalorian, like Mando, doesn't like doesn't, it. Kind of like doesn't register in his head. He just like lets it pass by like it's a phrase everyone uses. But that immediately jumped out to me when we were reintroduced to her.
0: Yeah, I I, I remember they they mentioned the Jedi once when they talked about how like there was a race of beings that did things. When Mando talks about how the, the child used use magic to basically kill like, like to kill or free something in action but we I don't think we actually actually had the word the force said before
1: that's what i'm saying i think this is the first time the words the force were used in the Mandalorian, which is it's a huge i mean listen, the force is a force it is essential forward so that's a huge kind of landmark uh on this in this, uh, episode one
0: yeah and we get him there because he's looking for the Mandalorian. and he was told about in the in the first five minutes of the show. He heads to a town called Most Pelgo, which he'd never heard of before. It was, like, basically a town in the middle of nowhere, one of those, like, seedy towns that you never really see. And we get there. We see a guy show up. In, he, he's called the Marshal, we told by the bartender. And he shows up in Boba Fett's art, but it's not Boba Fett. It's this guy named Cobb Vanth, named, played by Timothy Olyphant. So how pumped are you to see his role in this, in this episode? I think.
1: You hear his voice first, right? When he yeah. has the helmet on. And I was immediately like, oh, that's Timothy Oliphant. And I love Timothy Oliphant. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. And um, it, I mean, the character kind of played to his tropes a little bit. It reminded me of the show he was on Justified, where he played Raylan Gibbons, where he was a sheriff, uh, a marshal, and was kind of snarky, and a little bit of an attitude, didn't trust anyone. And he kind of played the same character, but maybe more of a comedic spin. But I was very excited. And let's, Timothy Olfonson, a little bit of a, a Western run, if you will. His most recent project, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he was acting in a Western movie. Uh, Deadwood's a movie, literally classic Western TV show, the movie, and now The Mandalorian. So he fits the Western genre well, and I think he played this part very well. And I hope that he comes back later this season. No guarantee of that. Uh, but I would not be upset to see him again.
0: Yeah. So anyway, he shows up. He had he reveals that basically he got this armor from Jawas. We see it in flashbacks, the, how he got the Boba Fett armor. But we have basically they're gonna th- fight each other over it, and you know that Mando is gonna like basically kick his ass eventually. But they get distracted because the crate dragon comes in, just sweeps through the entire town, then kills like a bantha that's out there, and. I have to say, that's a deep pull for Star Wars, and I, the first time I actually heard of the crate Dragon was there's a quest in the nice little Republic video game on Tatooine where you have to kill a crate Dragon, so it was very interesting to see that reference being popped up again.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is, when I saw the, the effect of the ground rising up and something underneath the ground going through the town, I immediately thought of Tremors. I don't know if you've seen the movie Tremors, early 90s, Kevin Bacon, but I immediately thought of that, and I could not stop it of a grab-away. And that's basically what this was, is it's so like Tremors. It's a desolate town set in a sand environment with a dwindling population and nobody even knows it on the map, but these people need to band together, make some unruly alliances to defeat a monster that comes up from out of the ground and is threatening their livelihood. It's literally Tremors, but they just made it into Star Wars with the Krayt Dragon. So I was a huge fan of immediately the vibe that they were going for with it, and it it hooked me in even deeper.
0: Yeah, this was a fun ride the rest of the way because this is basically the plot of the rest of the episodes that those two make a deal where Cobb Vance says, "Hey, I'll give you the arm if you help me get rid of the Great Dragon." And then we also spent a lot of time actually getting to know the Sand People a little bit, who the Tusken Raiders, who Star Wars fans know back Episode Two, they're the ones who kill Anakin Skywalker's mother. We see them Episode Four, like. And did you are you surprised that May knows how to communicate with them?
1: No, because he uh I believe in episode five of season one with the gunslinger when he is riding around with the bandit, um, uh, trying to get the uh the sniper assassin, is that he bargains with them in the desert. So they actually landed this little clue in season one and now now season two, they're able to even expand on it further and explore the culture of the Tuscan creatures, which I thought was really, really cool because what are they known for? They're known for the yell and raising the pike of going, roof, 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 whatever sound effect that is. That was terrible, by the way. That was awful. <laughs> uh, but like, I, I really liked how they explored the culture, and they very briefly explored the relationship between the humans on uh, um, Tatooine and the Tusken Raiders. I mean, they classically say, humans say, oh, they attack our land. And meanwhile, the Tusken Raiders are like, we were here first. So it reminded me a lot of the relationship between elves and humans uh, on the continent in the world of The Witcher, but they banded together to to beat this dragon. And I, I really like how they explored the culture of it.
0: They did, and they gave you another subtle hint of that too. Because on the way to from Amanda leaves the 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 laser leaves the razor, razor crest, is on his way there. We see a brief cutaway of him camping at night with Tuscan Raiders and conversing with them, and then you you kind of first yep. think oh it's a cutaway, and then you realize oh that's a big thrust of the whole episode.
1: It is, it is. And again, I again it's opening the window into different areas of Star Wars that have not yet been explored. And again, huge fan of what John Favreau did writing and directing this episode and setting the tone.
0: Yeah, and I did think this also this episode as a whole sorta of had very season one vibes where it's sort of like, Okay, here's a problem, here's our set of characters, Mano's gonna sort of be the guy who brings two groups together because he brings together the villagers and the sand people to combat this crate dragon and the whole thing with, obviously, you see the tension between the two sides, and when you see the one villager gets mad when the explosive gets dropped, he thinks the Sandra is trying to kill him. I think we get a good deal here from them. It's like, if you're the village, and you get a deal, hey, like, they can keep the carcass of the, sand, of the crate dragon after we kill it, and they don't invade us like, I think it's a great deal for you to take.
1: Yeah, I I mean yeah, I think it's a great deal for the city too. And again, it it it's peace until the humans raise a pistol or raise a blaster at the Tuscan Raiders. Which yeah. listen, if we're gonna put a trait on humanity, it's that we're not the most reliable bunch. So the, the humans are probably gonna break that bond with the Tuscan Raiders. Let's be real. But it was a, a win win for both. So curious as like actually, obviously, yeah, you're gonna get to the battle and the stuff like that. But I have a question for you about what the Tuscan Raiders may have been looking for when they got the husk. Of, of this dragon.
0: Yeah, they were do they were they were taking a peek for the for the pearl of the drag the dragon. That's something again that they've referenced in like Nice Know Republic where there's one cycle where you have to kill a crate dragon to try and get inside a cave and you're working with a bounty hunter and he's basically going for the pearl and you're going to, to get the star map.
1: That, okay, think, so then there you go. Now. That's what I was going to ask. I was, like, is, I was like, is that a pearl that they're raising or is that an egg? I wasn't entirely sure, but you answered that question for me with uh, your knowledge of the Knights of the Republic. Yeah, that's a direct Knights of the
0: Republic poll is thats that is are that going for the pearl the crate Dragon, which I think, obviously, you don't need to know that. You don't need to play the game to understand that, but it's a nice little nod to the people who follow the expanded Star Wars continuity
1: over the years. Yeah, that's great. That's, a, again, that's phenomenal writing. Again, it doesn't need to be flashy to be good. It can be subtle, which is the way, which is the, the, way the Mandalorian thrives.
0: Yeah, so we see earlier the, at the battle plan, first they try and get him out there and see how big it is. The plan doesn't work. A Tusken Raider dies, and then we realize, we need to get the entire villages involved. We need to blow up underneath the belly to because it's the most acceptable area. The plan particularly doesn't work. And then Mando has this brilliant idea we're going to have him eat the Bantha and blow up the Bantha inside of him. So, great job there. And I think it was an interesting choice that he trusted Cobb Van to care for the child in case it didn't work.
1: Yeah, I would agree. Um, I would agree. But, again, this is the only gripe I really have with the episode, Mike, is that I thought this ending was incredibly predictable. Um, because when, they, when the humans and the Tuscan Raiders are walking together toward the pit of the dragon, there's a blatant shot of a Bantha with explosives strapped on it. And I saw it, and I was like, that's how they're going to kill it. Is it going to explode in the mouth or whatever? It's going to be like jaws, where the big explosion is going to blow it up from the inside. And that's kind of exactly what happened. So I was a little bit bummed with how predictable they made it. I think they dropped a few too many hints with it. Um So that, that's the only gripe I have, is that I wasn't completely and utterly surprised and satisfied with the way the dragon was killed.
0: Yeah, that, that, that one they did telegraph in a mile away if you know what you're looking for there, but I thought the whole battle with the crate Dragon was definitely a lot of fun, seeing all the different groups having to work together, and seeing all different weapons they're throwing at it. I thought it was definitely a unique way of fighting we don't usually see in the Star Wars universe either.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I think the, the medieval hooks that the Tuffy Raiders had was a very uh, just a different vibe than the blasters that the humans had, so just a different way of approaching the battle, and I don't know how those, those medieval wooden spikes would hold that dragon down, but they seemed to do the job all right. Uh, and, like, the battle when you had the marshal and Mando on their jetpacks and flying onto the mountain to try and just convince the, the dragon to keep moving forward because it wasn't dead yet. Like, it was, that was all good stuff. I love also, I think there was a slight reference. It, or, it reminded me of Jurassic Park with uh, the dragon, his eyes, uh, the profile view. And starting to look at the Marshall and Mando it reminded me a lot of the Jurassic Park, Tyrannosaurus uh, sort of Rex. So I think that maybe there was a little nod there as well. But again, the fight overall was very entertaining. No, but I mean, no budget concerns at all because they spent so much money making this look good, and it did look really, really good. The dragon was very, very.
0: Yeah, it was a fantastic looking dragon. At the end, we do see the exchange happen. Mando gets Boba Fett's armor and. Like Cobb Vance gets the dragon kill He's basically keeping in tr- keeping an eye On his village now He's still the marshal of it He's the one who basically Has kept order in there After a group of I think I want to say mi- like Evil miners took over Following the fall of the Empire Do you think we'll yep. see Timothy Oliphant again at the, By the end of the
1: season? I'm going to be honest The answer is no And I'm, per- I'm okay with that I would love to see him again But I think this is one of those One off we just meet A character that we really like And that we'll remember fondly But I don't think We're going to see him again
0: yeah, I could see it both ways. I do think he's such a big name that I could say, okay, maybe we'll just bring him in for the finale to help out whatever mission we need going on. But I don't think we'd see him again before that. I think he's gonna be. There's also a good chance he's won and done.
1: It, you know, honestly, if this if we see him again, I can imagine we see him like dead, like like the village was wiped out, and Mandova's was like, oh no, like what have I done? Like I left them, and now they're dead. Like kind of like. So for a moment like that, but I don't think we're going to see him on like another mission again or anything like that. That's kind of the vibe that I'm going for. Cause now, I mean, he had, he had Boba Fett's armor. Now, now Mando has it. And I think at the, the end of the episode, we saw kind of what meeting is going to happen soon that everyone's excited for. And I, I think that, that's, that's, that's going to be a sell for the Marshal in terms of like action stuff.
0: Yeah. So we leave him behind. We see, we see uh Mando leaving with the armor. Then we see, off screen, we see, like, watching from above, we see Tamura Morrison, who played, I think, I want to say he played Jango Fett, and is obviously the model for all the clones, including Boa Fett. So, the Boba Fett theory is a long time ago for fans of episode six, who've been arguing, oh, he escaped the Sarlacc. Now we have proof he did.
1: Yeah, I mean, we have proof he did. I think that was canon, though, uh in, like, the Star Wars comics and stuff like that and other media. So, but now it's coming into the more mainstream, if you will. And I do think, like we were, we got the hint of Boba Fett again with the gunslinger episode in season one, when you saw that boot come on the final screen, uh, the final shot of that episode, uh, the episode five. So again, cause that episode was set on Tatooine, So it would make a lot of sense. So I think that is that Boba Fett kind of has a sense of this Mandalorian because he knows a little bit of the history. He obviously watched them take down the dragon and Boba Fett and, uh, the Mandalorian do it kind of on his own, be the hero, be the martyr. And he also knows that he took down a deadly assassin in season one, or at least he has a body from it, so he can kind of infer. So I think that Boba Fett's going to come in with some knowledge of the Mandalorian that the Mandalorian to be surprised about.
0: Yeah, I also think the the thing with Boba Fett that's interesting is that, like, this character sort of has big mythological pull with the Star Wars fans because he has such the badass suit in episode five. But we don't really know anything about him because I mean he gets killed episode six unceremoniously. He shows up as a kid episode two. We don't see him again. So there's basically a blank slate. This very iconic character.
1: There is, there is, and I think again this is something where more Fabro can can write can write in something that's really intriguing. But I hope they don't overexpose it, Mike. I think I told you in the beginning how The Mandalorian, the TV show, is a clean slate and it's not connected to. The majority of the Star Wars universe that people know, it's very different and isolated. I don't want them bleeding too much into what the fans want and recognize it. They want to have them to have that individuality. So I hope it's like a one episode thing. I hope it's not too long lasting.
0: Yeah, I could I think this could be where we go episode two because I think I could see them staying on Tatooine and having Boba Fett follow him, or we could be bolder and just push it off a little bit. Maybe have them end up back on Tatooine and have Boba Fett follow him for a little bit before they meet up again.
1: Yeah, I don't think they're gonna meet up this episode. Again, what I think is that uh is that the Mandalorian Mando is gonna end up back on Tatooine somewhere later in the season. You're gonna go back to the Marshall's village, you're gonna see that it's destroyed, and then you're gonna turn around and both set's gonna be there and the shot is gonna be like uh is gonna be like a western duel where they're gonna have the the high angle with the space between them, with the sand and then just standing there like sizing each other up. That's what I imagine is going to happen. Not next episode, but down the road.
0: Yeah, I do think there's a good chance he's a one-episode character. I right? think they, they just basically tell his story and let him exist in the universe for, and leave him alone. That so They can pull him later if they want to.
1: Yep, I, that's, that's what I think is going to happen. And I hope that that's the case. Don't, again, don't give us too much. Because again, with this episode one, you know we didn't see a lot of? We didn't see a ton of Baby Yoda. We didn't see Baby Yoda with his powers. And I love that that because that's what people want to see that's the that's the hook that got so many people into season one is the development of baby yoda's the child powers and stuff like that what can it do and it looks so cute we didn't get a ton of it in this premiere so it's good they're keeping it away from the audience and they're keeping the audience hungry for it
0: yeah because they he does a couple of fun little moments there like when he pops back into his pod when he knows the fight's about to go down and we see him kind of like creeping around when they're trying to kill the crate dragon but they do a good job of realizing that this is still the show about the Mandalorian, not the Baby Yoda show. So they're doing a good job of giving you bits and pieces of the Baby Yoda character.
1: Yeah, they didn't bite into, into the commercialism of Star Wars too much in this premiere, which I'm a huge fan of.
0: Yeah, they and we knew this was the deal with this whole series, because remember back when they, the original one came out back in October, nobody knew Baby Yoda was coming last year, so we had this... Whole opportunity for Christmas season merch of Baby Yoda that they convinced Disney not to pursue to keep the secret. So this is a group that values the storytelling over the
1: merchandising opportunities. Yeah, and I listen. There's going to be plenty of money making this show, and you look at the budget and look at the way that episode looks. Disney has dropped a ton of eggs in this basket, so they're just hoping it doesn't crack uh, because. Once things get back to normal, there's going to be a Mandalorian ride at Disney World, whatever Disney park they want. And they're going to sell as many toys and dolls as
0: possible. Oh, they absolutely are. And I do think it's going to be fun to track how the season goes. The same length of episodes. We have eight episodes here like we did in season one. And I do think, I I think we'll have a lot of these side missions before we get sort of a group assembled at the end for a big thing. My question theory is this. Obviously, we're talking at the beginning of the season. I'm hoping to get you back on, around the finale. So, do you think we will get to Baby Yoda's people this season? you think it's going to be a mystery they leave for season three?
1: I think it's going to be a mystery that they leave for season three. Uh, that's what I think. Um, I think that they'll get to around some Jedi, and they'll maybe get to around like that sort of, if you want to refer to the child people as people who are Force-sensitive, I think we will meet more of those people. But in terms of the species itself, I don't think we're going to meet them until later down the road in this series as a whole.
0: Yeah, it will be fun. And I'm going to, obviously I mentioned on top here, I'm going to do weekly covers of The Mandalorian. Next week, our good buddy Pete Costa is going to be on to do episode too. Yeah,
1: hey, well, there you go. I mean, Pete's a big fan. I know he definitely watched it today. So he's going to come in with his hot take. How many hockey announcements is he going to make during the episode? One can <laughs> never know. But uh, but yeah, no, for sure. You definitely got to give that a listen.
0: Yeah, it's going to be coming out like this, every week. What's going to happen with this is we're going to recap it on the podcast every week. It'll come out with the regular episodes most occasions, but the the video version is going to be up on YouTube on the day that we record, so that you don't have to wait that long. You really want to get the Mandalorian takes right now.
1: There's a hunger for it right now, so you got to feast on it while you can. It's one of those few shows that still releases weekly, tonight, and I think it's one of the smartest things that Disney Plus has done, is because they are just, they're just containing the culture for as long as they possibly can. With people trapped inside, now not as many sports happening or taking advantage of it.
0: They absolutely are. John, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. How can people find on social media if they want to keep up with you? And how about Stanko's Stance?
1: Uh, you can follow me on social media at jstanko99 on all social media platforms. I've been updating a little bit more on stanko's stance.wordpress.com. Uh, got some stuff up there. And yeah, and you feel free to hit me up. I'm always on Twitter. I'm on Twitter all the time.
0: Yes, thanks, Jeff, for coming on for this part. Before, like, we're gonna keep going with our Halloween pop culture party here. I will be talk, joined by Sandra Rosa in just a minute to talk about the haunting of Blind Manor. I know you have not finished the show yet, but what are your impressions as as far?
1: Yeah, I am I'm five episodes in. Uh, it is very good thus far. Again, it's exceptionally well made and well written, which I'm a huge fan of. This season is not as scary. At Hill House, in my opinion, thus far in our branches, I have not reached the climax yet. So that may change, but I again, I wholeheartedly endorse it. Especially episode five. Episode five, it confused my girlfriend watching it, but it also touched her emotionally. And for me, it was argu- It was definitely the best made episode of the season thus far. So I'm um, a little bit more than halfway through. Definitely going to finish it probably this weekend with the Halloween setting that we have, uh, and wholeheartedly
0: endorse yeah i wholeheartedly endorse it as well i'm going to give you a piece of advice sir i finished it episode eight will give episode five run for its money in terms of structure in terms of the theme but for more of this conversation more on haunting a blind matter you can listen to my conversation with Derosa right after this